Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, March the 19th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we put to rest the notion that the Dolphins are a floundering mess with absolutely no vision. We talk about the best free agent signings in team history. We go over the updated list of needs and how it impacts Miami's draft plans, and we cover some news items that happened over the weekend. But first and foremost, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Those podcast ratings and reviews help the show get up the charts on iTunes and help us get out to more Dolphins. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network. Right now, we have an Adam Gaze piece out there talking about his vision and getting this offense made for his system and how he wants things done. We'll cover that on the podcast as well today. And speaking of podcasts, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and get into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on first down, we're talking about the piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. It is titled, Adam Gaze, the architect behind Miami's vision. And in the piece, I really kind of wanted to debunk the notion that the Dolphins are visionless and that they're just kind of making moves by the or flying by the seat of their pants rather and that's just not the case you go back to October last year after the Dolphins got smoked by the Baltimore Ravens and if you go even further back to that to the game against the Jets when everyone thought the Dolphins were going to get out to a 2-0 start and get on top of the AFC East and get a head up on everybody else in the division and then they fall with a terrible performance they didn't score a touchdown until the very last play of the game when the Jets were in total prevent defense up by 20 points not caring at that point and Adam Gaze ripped into his team there and then fast forward five or six weeks later into Baltimore, he rips into the team again saying this stuff is not good enough. And I'm paraphrasing when I say stuff. This is just not going to be good enough. It's not going to be accepted. I'm tired of watching this crap offense for the last two years. These guys aren't doing what they have to do. They're not taking their work home with them. It's not about retaining the information or the fact that they can't retain it. If you can't retain it, you shouldn't be playing at this level. You got to take your stuff home with you and you got to get that work done on your own time because this is the National Football League and you're expected to be a professional. You're expected to be where you're supposed to be on the field when we call the certain plays that we call. No freelancing, no doing your own thing. He even specifically called out Jay Ajayi saying, you know, quit trying to hit a home run every freaking time and get the ball up the field. Quit trying to bounce everything. Get those four or five yards and quit trying to go for 70 every time you touch the ball. And lo and behold, Jay Ajayi is traded like five days later. I believe it was on Tuesday following the Thursday game. So he didn't, he did not hold back any of his punches in that press conference. The team reportedly put up Jay Jarvis Landry on the trade block that week as well. A, wor- a deal did not get worked out. The Ravens were p- reportedly interested in the receiver at the time, but nothing happened there. Obviously, Landry is gone now, but it just goes back to his theme of, you know, he's going to do the things a certain way. He's going to adapt his scheme as he can because he's a guy that in the past hasn't wanted to run the ball. When he went to Chicago, he didn't want to run two tight end sets. He wants to run those three receiver sets, the 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three receivers. But you go back to Chicago, he had the personnel to run two tight ends and he did that. So he adapts his scheme to fit the players that he has. He's done it in Miami. He adapted to go to Jay Ajayi's outside zone, primarily the only play that he ever wanted to run. He went with that. He went with feeding Jarvis Landry 160 targets in a year. And now he's saying, forget this. 
I'm going to follow basically what Doug Peterson has done in Philadelphia, not the sense that he's got this loaded roster like Howie Rosen put together for the Eagles, but he's going to follow the mantra that your chances of success in this league, basically they're 50-50 in terms of getting fired or being successful and going on and doing things, just looking at the other coaches around the league. So I'm going to do things the way I want to do it, and if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down doing it my way. So I'm going to get rid of all these guys that aren't doing it the right way. I'm going to bring in players that are smart, that they're going to be where they're supposed to be on the field and the routes within the route concepts and the route tree on the field in the passing game. And he's gone out and he has done that. So he's approached it with his own vision. He is putting his fingerprints all over the football team. And the Dolphins are proceeding that way. Now, he made a mistake last year going into the season with the offensive line that he had. And he has admitted that mistake by doing what he's done right now, getting Josh Sitton and Dan Kilgore for the price of Mike Pouncey. And that is a major coup. You get two quality starters, a left guard that is a hell of a player in Josh Sitton, a center that has had some ups and downs, but ended the 2017 season on fire, only allowing Jimmy Garoppolo to get didn't even allow him to get touched, only allowed him to get hurried twice in the last five games. So a great pass protection there. They bring back Jawan James. Like I said, they get rid of Mike Pouncey, who was a liability and a huge salary cap figure. So he's rebuilt this offensive line to give Ryan Tannehill the best line that he's ever had as far as starters and depth. He gives a bunch of receivers that excel at the types of routes that, that Tannehill can really excel at. He has gotten a passing game that's going to get the football out quickly and protect the quarterback that has the banged up knee from the last couple of years, who was previously an Iron Man of sorts, and then he comes in and gets the low blow to the knee, but they've centered this offense around protecting Ryan Tannehill, getting a decent running game or improved running game because Kenyon Drake and J.H.I. over the last two years were two of the best running backs in terms of creating yardage after getting hit in the backfield. No running backs in 2016 got hit behind the line of scrimmage more than J.H.I., and no running back got hit behind the line of scrimmage in 2017 more than Kenyon Drake. So they want to fix that to get some receivers that are going to stop doing their own thing, guys that can win from stacks and bunch formations and trips and tight to the formation tight in line with the close splits of the tackles and tight ends they're going to do that kind of stuff but they also have different unique ways they can score the football Albert Wilson half of his touchdowns in his career are from 40 plus yards he scored on a fake punt back in Kansas City he scored on some screen passes he scored on some long balls he has just been a dynamo in that offense in terms of a role player expect his role to expand with Miami and become kind of a Jarvis Landry replacement with more speed in his back pocket you have Danny Amendola who is just Johnny on the spot in terms of doing everything the Patriots want him to do you look at all these signings the Dolphins have made all of these guys you go back and look at quotes and type up type their name and look for articles on Google wherever you find them there are notes about how smart they are how professional they are and how good locker room guys they are so that culture idea is totally there gaze is going in that direction he's getting smart football players and how often do we talk about well it's not about how talented the team is yes talent is important but how often does talent win out how often does someone's preseason predictions actually become reality at the end of the season it's always about who is the best team and putting together the right 53 not necessarily the best 53. So it might not work. There's a chance it doesn't work. I mean, that's obviously always going to be the case. But Adam Gaze is going to put together a team that's doing things doing things the right way. And they do have talent too. There's some good talent on this roster they can build around. So this offense, in my opinion, is built specifically for Ryan Tannehill and for what Adam Gaze wants to do to go ahead and display his genius, get some of those wrinkles back from that late season run they had against the Patriots and then some of those plays against the Chiefs with some you know receivers in the backfield running jet sweeps and fake jet sweeps and crossing the receivers under the formation with you know some misdirection, play action, that type of thing. So more fluidity in the playbook, more versatility in the playbook. 
and finding different ways to score the football. We talk about Albert Wilson's ability to score in different ways. Danny Amendola, we've heard a lot about how the Dolphins don't have the red zone target or the tall body that can box guys out, run the back shoulders, and Devontae Parker is that when he's healthy and when he wants to be professional, but it's not just size that wins in the red zone. You go back to Danny Amendola's career with the New England Patriots over the last five years, he only scored 18 touchdowns. Not a lot, we understand that, but 12 of those touchdowns came within 10 yards of the end zone. So he wins with quickness and scheme. The Dolphins are going to rely on this type of thing. I mean, how many touchdowns have you seen Ryan Tannehill throw where the running back leaked out and he was open in the flat? It's all about getting guys open, scheming them open. So Gaze is going to have guys that will do the right things. I've said it a million times now on this episode alone. Going to have guys doing things the right way, being where they're supposed to be on the field. And that's the vision for the offense. So plenty more to come in this podcast, this episode of Lockdown Dolphins. Talking about versatility on the offense, we are looking at a player, a veteran running back the Dolphins may be signing as soon as today even, and if they do that, we'll talk about the impact it could have on Adam Gaze's playbook on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Travis Wingfield with you here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and just to get back to a little bit of personal news, you guys know that I was sick throughout the course of every podcast episode last week, grinding through those episodes and the film work and all the stuff on LockedOnDolphins.com. Thank you guys so much for reading us over there. We are killing it this month in terms of production for the website, the number one rated blog on the Locked On site, and I hope my voice sounds better tonight. I'm not all the way back, but I'm definitely on the mend and feeling a lot better, so thank you for hanging in there with me and not giving me too much crap on Twitter about my horse voice the last few days. But let's go ahead and talk about some news items here on the podcast, and I recorded on Thursday, or Friday's episode on Thursday late afternoon, just before they brought back David Fells. The quarterback is now going to be the backup to Ryan Tannehill for now until we find out what happens in the draft or the rest of free agency. I imagine they're not going to address the position of free agency because there just isn't a whole lot out there anymore. I guess you still have guys like Derek Anderson, but what does that really do you? I mean, I guess it can save you a game or two if, if Tannehill goes down midseason with a you know an injury that's not season-ending, but rather just like a one-week type of thing. Could be the case between the difference between a win and a loss, but even then, I mean, without Tannehill, I don't feel good about this team, especially Derek Anderson or even David Fells. So my approach, I think the way I've kind of sorted it out, we'll talk about this on the next segment, talking about Dolphins draft needs and kind of how it fits up with, or their needs, how it fits up with where they are in the draft and players that could become available at those spots. But it's it's become my opinion that they should just, you know, roll with David Fells as the backup, see what you have in him. If something were to happen to Tannehill, and I think the best case scenario something does happen to Ryan Tannehill is you do get a high draft pick and you get a crack at one of those high quarterbacks next year after all these teams this year are going to invest crazy amounts in these quarterbacks. You have three teams went first-round quarterback last year. Four teams will go this year with the big four, probably even five if you count Lamar Jackson. So there's nine teams right there that aren't very good teams, potentially, that could be off the quarterback market. So the Dolphins could approach the quarterback class next year if something were to happen to Ryan Tannehill. So it just kind of ma- matches up well with a potential nightmare scenario for the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill. So just roll with David Fells. He is back on one-year contract with the Dolphins. He is currently Ryan Tannehill's backup. And speaking of potential free agents or guys coming back or guys that were never here in the first place, veteran running back DeMarco Murray has spent the weekend in South Florida visiting with the Miami Dolphins, and it sounds like they're trying to get a deal done with him. And the Dolphins have been pretty good on getting guys signed that have come for visits. But you look at DeMarco Murray's career, I loved him out of Oklahoma. I loved him with the Dallas Cowboys. I loved it when he went to the Philadelphia Eagles. Didn't really work out for them there. I was optimistic about his time in Tennessee. His first year was decent. Last year was not. He has tired legs. He averaged 3.6 yards per carry. He was far less productive than Derrick Henry on the same team, obviously. He's going to be 30 on opening day. I just don't see a lot of reason for optimism in terms of potentially being the third running back on the roster come opening day because I hope the Dolphins will draft a running back to kind of pair with Kenyon Drake 
But here is where the upside to DeMarco Murray's signing is. Miami's going to have to have a third running back. Right now, it's Sonoris Perry behind a potential rookie, you'd imagine, right? So if it's Kenyon Drake, rookie, Sonoris Perry, you run the really good risk that Sonoris Perry is the guy you have to pair with him because it's not a guarantee that these rookie running backs come in and get it figured out right away. Sometimes it takes them a few weeks. Even David Johnson, his early days with the Arizona Cardinals, he was a kick returner more than a running back at that time, and he kind of caught a few passes and just blew people away and earned his way into the lineup. But Bruce Arians didn't want to get him onto the field because he wasn't necessarily mentally prepared yet. So DeMarco Murray brings you the option to run every single play when he's in the backfield. He's a good pass catcher still. He's very good in blitz pickup. He just gives you the versatility to run the entire offense when he's on the field, and that might not be the case with a rookie. So you have someone that you can kind of ease into the into the season, kind of like Arian Foster did for the Miami Dolphins a couple of years ago. And I believe that quote came from Chris Coffin on Twitter at CK Perry. He talked about the comparison between Arian Foster as well as DeMarco Murray. But you go back to last year's Hard Knocks season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They drafted Jeremy McNichols out of Boise State. I want to say in the fifth round. I'm not 100% sure on that, but he ended up getting cut because he couldn't get his mind right. He couldn't get the playbook down. He couldn't put the time in. So these rookie running backs, I know it's not a crazy hard position to learn, but in terms of the passing game and knowing when to get out into the route or stay in and pass protect, a lot of rookies tend to have problems with that, especially early on. So you protect yourself against that. If you if you want to go to a number two running back in those early games, you're going to want to have a veteran in there. So maybe just kind of slug it out with DeMarco Murray while you get the rookie up to speed. So that's where his purpose comes in for the Miami Dolphins. You could possibly see him sign, like I said, as soon as today. So don't love the fit in terms of the player, but you can see where the thinking is there. They just have some holes they're going to have to plug. And we'll talk about those holes on the other side of the podcast here at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And I've got my three top free agents on the list right here, ready to read off for you guys. But first, let's get into the Dolphins' needs remaining. I have five needs left the Dolphins have to fill on my list. Those positions are tight end number one, the first tight end. I think A.J. Derby, Marquise Gray, not a tight end one at this point. Linebacker two behind Raquel McMillan, basically an OLB, an outside linebacker. Defensive tackle is in there. I don't know where to classify that because I like the group of defensive tackles, but I think there's a good possibility to go at D-tackle in the first round. We'll talk about that here in a second. Running back two, obviously, DeMarco Murray fits that role, but still want to see a rookie drafted there. And a single high safety, a third safety, a dime safety, so to speak. So tight end, linebacker, defensive tackle, running back, and safety. The safety market is still out there to be had. I think the Dolphins could approach that through free agency and go that route to go ahead and put someone back there with Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald in terms of the dime packages they'll be running in 2018. The running back, I think there's a good spot in the third to fourth round for a big glut of good players to fall in that range. So you can get that buttoned up there in the third round. The defensive tackle, we'll go, we'll get back to that here in a second. Linebacker seems like a spot where that it's going to be between linebacker and defensive tackle in the first round because the way I see it, defensive tackle, you basically have to go first round to get one of the guys you want to have on the field all the time. A Vita Vey, who is just a dominant pass rusher, a dominant everything there. But so is Deron Payne. You go back to his national championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. He was in the backfield all night long, causing problems for Jake Fromm and that offense for the Georgia Bulldogs. So it, it just seems like that would be a good spot to go defensive tackle. You can come back on the linebacker in maybe round three maybe Shaquem Griffin is still there. I would hope he would be. That's the guy that I am absolutely in love with. I'm going to write a piece on him coming up this week. So keep an eye on that and kind of the culture that he could bring to Miami Dolphins in terms of getting this culture fixed and put back together the way Adam Gaze wants it. And then that second round pick, the tight end. So that is the prime spot for a tight end to be. I've talked about it on Twitter. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Whether you have, whether Mike Kosecki makes it there or not, I'm not sure. But Mark Andrews is a great fit for the Miami Dolphins. 
Hayden Hurst, although he's 25 years old, looks like a, com- a complete tight end out of South Carolina. So those are a couple options there. And then maybe you get back into the third round, you could look at Ian Thomas out of Indiana, another big body guy that could possibly be a fit there for the Dolphins. But just kind of the way the needs stack up in the draft, it looks like maybe, so round one, linebacker or defensive tackle, just because I think Derwin James, Mika Fitzpatrick could be gone by then. So let's go ahead and cross that off. Hopefully the safety position is addressed. I still like Trey Boston a lot to come over to Miami and play that role. Hopefully they get him a contract or get him in the building and have him talk about signing with the Dolphins this offseason. Round number two would be the tight end. I think that's pretty much cut and dry. I think round three, go linebacker or DT, whichever one you didn't get. And it doesn't have to be this necessarily this route, but that's kind of where I find it falling for them. And then that's where running back starts to fall into the mix in that fourth round. Running back, probably even quarterback too. And then safety, if you do find yourself in a position where you did not get one in free agency. So the Dolphins are probably going to get, I'm going to say one more or two, maybe two more of those needs buttoned up. But we're definitely starting to see the picture kind of come together. And you kind of start making your mock drafts make a little bit more sense rather than just throwing names out there like I've been doing. So check, check out drafttech.com. I have an updated draft board on there right now. I believe I'll get Vita Vey in the first round and Mike Secchi in the second round there. So you guys will probably like that one quite a bit. But let's talk about the best free agents the Dolphins have ever signed. I wanted to do best and worst. We'll do worst free agents tomorrow night, the three worst free agents in Miami Dolphins history. I'm going to go ahead and do the three best right now. And if you guys didn't know, unrestricted free agency actually began in 1992. So we're talking about the 27th year in which the Dolphins have been able to sign unrestricted free agents. And there's a big list of them. And I'm kind of going to go more off of guys that are more notable, I suppose, is the word to put on there. And I guess that has more to do with the guys that they had for bust because I'm not going to call a guy a bust to sign a minimum deal and didn't work out. So, but this one, my top three free agents, and this kind of, there's a unique criteria I used here, just kind of based on longevity with the team, how much of an impact they had on the team and how much money they cost in the long run. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six guys written down here. I'm going to go with three of them. My third best free agent in Miami Dolphins history since 1992, of course, not going back to the Bob Kuchenberg days or anything like that, but the best three unrestricted free agents. Number three, Brock Marion, the safety in 1998. He was a fantastic safety, kind of completed the Dolphins version of their own Legion of Boom back in the late 90s slash early 2000s. He was with the Dolphins for six years. He made two Pro Bowls, had 20 interceptions and only missed a single game. So he was fantastic in his time and just a really good player, a big time playmaker and a really hungry type of motivated guy that played with his hair on fire. So I loved watching him play as a kid growing up. The number two all-time free agent for the Miami Dolphins in this one goes against one of my main criteria, longevity. It's going to be Chad Pennington. And how could it not be? The Dolphins going into that season had won one game the year before. The Jets cut him to bring in Brett Favre. Tom Brady is coming off another awesome year for himself there. The year where he goes MVP, 50 touchdown passes. Didn't know he was going to get hurt, obviously. But Chad Pennington comes in, the kind of the forgotten man, comes into a really talentless Miami Dolphins roster and leads him to 11 wins, an AFC East title, the last division title for the Miami Dolphins, gets him into the playoffs, obviously fell apart in the playoffs there. But Chad Pennington... Runner-up to the MVP award that year as well. So Chad Pennington, your number two all-time free agent for the Miami Dolphins. Number one, I don't know who else it could possibly be. Number 91, Cameron Wake. Not sure who else it could be. He goes undrafted out of college, out of Penn State. Doesn't find his way in the NFL. Goes over to Canada. Becomes a two-time defensive player of the year over there. The Dolphins sign him in 2009. Bring him over to Miami. And by 2010, he's already a dominant pass rusher in the league. He has been a pro bowler. Five times, he has 81 and a half career sacks, potential Hall of Fame player, been on a very low contract for a premier pass pressure for a long, long time now. You have guys like Olivier Vernon making $17 million a year, yet Cam Wake's over here making $8, $9, 10000000 million a year to be one of the best pass pressures in the NFL. So Brock Marion, Chad Pennington, and Cam Wake, my top three free agents since unrestricted free agency began in 1992. My 
Honorable mention actually only has two guys on the list. I wrote down a full name, so I thought I had six, but I only have two honorable mentions. That's Ndamukong Sue, of course. We all know what he did for three years as the Miami Dolphins defensive tackle. He was a great player for those three years, but it just didn't really end that well, and the team didn't really have a lot of success. But that, that doesn't really go against him, but the size of the contract really prohibited the Dolphins from doing other stuff they could have done in terms of buying other players. So Ndamukong Sue, honorable mention, best free agent of all time. And then Randy Starks. He was a big part of that 28, 2008 division championship team as well. He came over from the Tennessee Titans, I believe it was, and had a very good career for the Miami Dolphins for a long time too. So two defensive tackles there, Brock Marion, Chad Pennington, and Cameron Wake, the top three free agents in Miami Dolphins history. Go ahead and send me your guys' list on Twitter, at NFL. And let's go ahead and put a button on this podcast. That's going to do it for the podcast today, guys. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. And check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show, at LockdownFins. And follow our flagship show on Twitter as well as Facebook, at NFL. And check out LockdownDolphins.com. We're back tomorrow with another edition of Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose from Miami Dolphins football. Yeah.